are, uh, the first is Isaiah 7, and then uh, Hebrews 11, verses 17 through chapter 12, verse 2. Our sermon will be from the New Testament reading, uh, but in light of Advent coming and Christmas coming, uh, Isaiah 7 is... Is good to have before us. I'm sure we will return to it for a sermon in the month, next month or so. Uh, but reading it will get our minds thinking towards that true. The truths contained therein, nonetheless. Isaiah seven. This is the the passage where the promise of the virgin birth comes and Jesus's name being Emmanuel. It says, "Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah." king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remalia, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told to the house of David, saying, Syria's forces are deployed in Ephraim. So his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz, you and Sheer Jashub, your son, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field, and say to him, Take heed, be quiet, do not fear or be faint-hearted for these two stubs of smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remelia have plotted evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and trouble it, and let us make a gap in its wall for ourselves, and set a king over them, the son of Tabal. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass, for the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken, so that it will not be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is Ramalia's son. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. Nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat that he may know how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. The Lord will bring the kings of Assyria upon you and your people and your father's house, days that have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will whistle for the fly, that is in the farthest parts of the rivers of Egypt, and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. They will come, and all of them will rest in the desolate valleys and in the clefts of the rocks, and on all thorns and in all pastures. 
In the same day, the Lord will shave with a hired razor, with those from beyond the river, with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the legs, and will also remove the beard. It shall be in that day that a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep. So it shall be from the abundance of milk they give that he will eat curds. For curds and honey, everyone will eat who is left in the land. It shall happen in that day that wherever there could be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver, it will be for briars and thorns. With arrows and bows, men will come there because all the land will become briars and thorns. And to any hill which could be dug with the hoe, you will not go there for fear of briars and thorns. But it will become a range for oxen and a place for sheep to roam. Amen. And then our next reading from Hebrews 11 and 12. This is from uh, the chapter that is often called the Hall of Faith, making a play on the name like the Hall of Fame, but the Hall of Faith. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, And Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding, that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did after, excuse me, who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection." 
Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. There are different meanings of the word faith. The word faith. Children, your parents teach you, I trust, very often about the word faith. They teach you to have faith in Jesus Christ, that he has died on the cross to redeem you from your sins and has risen again on Easter Sunday to show that God accepted his payment. Your parents teach you to live by faith, to live trusting God, to live based on what Christ has done for you. You are baptized as a child into the faith. So that's at least three meanings of the word faith there. Maybe you older saints are familiar with the phrase that is contained in Jude's epistle where he speaks of contending for the faith. So there's a fourth meaning. Now sometimes there is what might seem a disconnect or possibly, if you uh, take it the wrong way, a a contradiction between theology or, or topics of theology, and the way that words are used in Scripture. Now, what do I mean? Well, the way that we traditionally think of faith is belief, right? Belief, that we trust in something. We'll get to that in just a moment with our shorter catechism. But the way that the words that are, the way that these words are often used in Scripture might uh, seem to us to bring uh, some friction, some tension that Mommy and Daddy say faith means this. The Shorter Catechism says faith means this. I was reading this systematic theology, and faith means this. But then I read it in Scripture, and the way the word faith is used is a bit different. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, the other things are wrong, just because a certain place in Scripture might use it as a different way. We need to be open to... Uh, our views being wrong based on what the Bible teaches, for the Bible is never wrong. But in, in passages like our New Testament reading this evening, we see the word faith faith used in a way that doesn't quite fall within our definition given in our shorter catechism. Many of these definitions are often used to flatten the intention of 
the scriptures. One of the most helpful ways that I have ever heard um, uh, explained how Christians tend to uh, kind of make the Bible more palatable when it uh, uses words in an uncomfortable fashion like this is when we think about the topics of theology, faith, uh, works, um, trust, um, justification, and all these things, when we have an uncomfortable passage in the Bible, we have this theological tackle box, as it were. Maybe you've been fishing before, and you know how there's different compartments in a tackle box, right? You read this uncomfortable passage, and you're like, huh, it seems like it goes in this box. And we just flip the page and read over. All right, we, we continue going, letting those uh, complicated uh, sections just kind of roll off our back like water off a duck's back because we've been able to put that section in our tackle box. But the Scripture stretches us. The question in the Catechism is phrased like this, what is faith in Jesus Christ? Now, the definition here is very narrow. It is 100% true and accurate. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon Him, that's Jesus Christ, alone for salvation as He is offered to us in the gospel. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace. It comes from God. It's a gift from God. We receive and rest upon Him alone by faith for salvation as He is offered to us in the gospel. How, if that is faith in Jesus Christ, how does that definition of faith fit with the repetition of by faith in Hebrews 11? Because sometimes we use by faith to mean the opposite of by effort. And that's not quite how Hebrews 11 uses it. Faith in Jesus Christ, narrowly considered, is a gift of God. It is passive as defined in the Shorter Catechism. And we must have that definition to understand that we are saved by faith. But we know, because we're students of Scripture, that the technical definition of faith is not at odds with what is taught about living by faith here in Hebrews 11. Let me offer a clarification, lest you're misunderstanding. These saints offered in Hebrews 11 100% had faith in Jesus Christ. 100%. But they did it looking forward through the types and shadows to the antitype, Jesus, that was yet to come. Faith needs to be considered passively. It is a gift. But faith, as you know, is active. It produces action. Faith without works is dead, as James says. The saints who are described as doing these various things by faith can be said to be trusting in God as they obeyed Him. They had faith that God was able and ready to keep His promises if they would but trust Him. And it is in that vein that I think God desires to strike us, as it were, through Hebrews 11 this evening, that God is able and ready 
to keep his promises if we would, but trust him. And when you reduce it down like that, you see there's really no contradiction at all between Hebrews 11 and the shorter catechism. So think for a moment what living by faith would have looked like in each of their lives. And we'll just use the things that are given in the text. We'll work through these quickly. First with Abraham. You're given nine verses there to describe his life. One verse for Isaac, one verse for Jacob, one verse for Joseph, six verses for Moses, two verses for the covenant people in general, one verse for Rahab, three verses covering Gideon, uh, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets, one verse for other women in general other than Rahab, and then two verses for others who go unnamed. And you can consider all their actions. What a profound way of understanding what Abraham was thinking and doing when he offered Isaac up. He offered Isaac up, the Holy Spirit tells us, through the pen of the Apostle Paul in these verses. He offered Isaac up believing that even if he would have had to go all the way to actually killing his son, he was willing to do it because he believed that God could raise him from the dead. And in that act, it was like Isaac went through, or really like Abraham went through, a crucifixion, a death of his own. And a resurrection, for he committed himself in faith to God, even through the giving of his son. Isaac, in verse 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. In 21, by faith, Jacob. So you've got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those first three that are often uh, referenced in the Gospels, those three perennial saints. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. Again, it's almost like you want to read back through these events in Genesis and in the Old Testament to think about them in a fresh way when you hear them described like this. And Joseph, his description, when he died made mention of the departing of the children of Israel, meaning Joseph uh, prophesied, as it were, the Exodus, and he also gave commandment to them concerning his bones. Joseph's faith lived on through the saints who carried his bones up out of Egypt. That was a work of faith, God says. Moses, again, six verses there for him, verses 23 through uh, 28. The description given around him, I'll come back to that in a moment, but it is uh, profound how he chose to be, uh, as to, he chose to esteem, he delighted in the reproach of Jesus instead of the riches of Egypt. The term there is of Christ in verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, meaning the riches from Christ and being uh, a suffering servant with and for him was greater than receiving any earthly riches in Egypt. You have the covenant people esteemed in verses 29 and 30. They passed through the Red Sea. How did they do it? You say, well, pastor, they listened to Moses. Pastor, they were following 
uh, that, that, uh, that smoking pot that was going before them, that, that fire that uh, was lit up before them. They were there walking through the part of sea because what else could they do? But the Lord says they did it by faith. Why were the Egyptians drowned? Because they didn't have faith. In verse 30, that event in the book of Joshua where the walls of Jericho fall down. How did it happen? Well, it happened by faith. Rahab, the harlot. Rahab, the liar. She acted by faith, by receiving the spies with peace. These other saints, I mean, it's just like he, he realizes that he can't describe everything about all of them. So he just lists a few, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, right? Jephthah, huh? David, Samuel, the prophets. And then verses 32 through 34, he just summarized all of them, all the prophets. Just, you know, remember them, that they live by faith. Remember those women who were told in verse 35, they received their dead, raised to life again. Think of that, that widow woman in uh, the days of Elijah and Elisha. Others, 36 and 37, all those things that were mentioned. You can consider specific examples, and I'd imagine as we, we read through those, and maybe as you read through them this evening when you go home, that there are certain things about each of their lives that would resonate with you in a powerful way. This example of Moses is wild. It's, it's bizarre even because of who the actions of by faith are attributed to. It was an act of faith, we're told, when they saw that he was beautiful and then responded in that way. Rahab lied by faith. What, what a profound implication that there's a context from which that we could lie in righteousness. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. Notice how the text phrases that. In verse, um, what is that? Uh, verse 35, the middle of the verse there. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, meaning faith led them to refuse the denial of Christ. Faith led them to refuse the freedom that could be offered and lead them out of torture, for they believed that they could attain a better resurrection, the resurrection that was to come by persevering in faith. Richard Baxter says uh, about um, willing to live for Christ unto death, willing to live through difficulties as a Christian, and he references uh, the verse about it being better to depart and be with Christ, right? Because we, we hear these verses, we see how many of these saints died for the faith, and we say yes and amen. We should be willing to die for the faith. Baxter says it, he brings it about in a, a profound way. He says, I am convinced that it is far better to depart and to be with Christ than to be here. But this conviction alone will not excite such desires in my soul. Meaning, having that conviction prior to that event coming where it will be demanded of us, is not enough to lead us to that action. Because our desires are, he says, 
opposed to death, which sin has greatly heightened, right? That we have a greater fear of death than we ought. By the remains of unbelief in our hearts, we turn from the trials of faith. And by the lack of more lively foretaste of heaven, we turn from the trials that God has for us and choose the opposite of what the saints have described here. You see, having faith like this enables you to perform actions like this. There's so often we read the Old Testament, we read Hebrews 11, and passages like it, and we say, man, I wish I had faith like that. Friends, the truth is you partake of the same faith. It is the same God, the same Savior, the same provision, the same promises, the same object, but with even greater clarity than they had in their lives when they made these decisions. Friends, it was not better for them than it is for us. We have the entire Word of God. We have so much more of history behind us, the certainty and fulfillment of God's promises. Our problems become minuscule when compared to them. And yet the Lord has chosen to record their lives as witnesses to us. This great cloud of witnesses, as you hear in chapter 12, verse 1. The great cloud of witnesses. What does it mean for them to be a great cloud of witnesses? See, we think of witnesses as someone who sees what we're doing. That's a sense of witness, but I don't think that's what's going on here. The great cloud of witnesses are those who have already lived by faith and have received their reward and their lives stand as witnesses before us, testimonies to us. We have no biblical proof at all that the saints from heaven look down on us. Quite frankly, why would they? Their lives serve as witnesses to us, as testimonies to us of how to conduct ourselves before the Lord to his glory by faith. But notice the culmination <coughs> excuse me, of this text is the Lord Jesus. In verse 2 of chapter 12, looking to Jesus, not just us, but they were as well, looking to Jesus who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He despised the shame and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, the lives of the saints recorded in Hebrews 11 walked the life of Christ even before he stepped foot on the earth. And then when Christ lived, that life was imputed to them to wipe away any blemish of their own enduring the cross of faith, their own despising of shame, so that they too could be brought into the presence of God where there are pleasures forevermore. I hope that this will encourage you to action where necessary, because sometimes action is needed to do the godly thing. But I also hope that this will encourage you to inaction where necessary. 
Because sometimes the godly thing to do is totally passive and inward. As you read and meditate on the saints that are presented, that find their culmination in Jesus Christ, may the Lord guide you in how to live by faith, receiving the same reward in Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord, we ask that